to the Danger and Sarge podcast is for podcasts, not the Danger and Sarge podcast. Danger and Sarge are here. <laughs> Hi, Sarge. This is why we can't have nice things. I know. Welcome to the is for podcast with Danger and Sarge. There it is. This week, we are going to talk about the letter S because each week on the S4, we like to break down a different letter or at least assign a topic to said letter and uh, and roll with it. So this week, we are going to be talking Starship Troopers, the 1997 military science fiction action film. I love this movie. Or or for those of us who are cultured, the 1959 book by Inman. Uh, yes. Just, yeah. yeah, actually, that was going to be the next thing I say. So thank you, thank you for taking t- for for taking that. So, yeah, um, I know you read the book and you saw the movie. You were not a fan of the movie, were you? How do we want to do this? How do we want to say this? Um, the movie, as a standalone, is is a decent sci-fi action Casper Van Dien movie. Right. If you wanted to compare the book and the movie, that would be like comparing the movie being a Ford Pinto to a, to the book being a Ford Mustang. I mean, two completely different things. One's an absolute turd and one isn't. Okay. So, you're saying that the movie is a turd and the book is a masterpiece? After reading the book, yeah, the movie is definitely a turd. It leaves so much information that drives the narrative of the book that would make the movie that much better. Well, okay, so you could say that for almost any movie and book adaptation. Well, I mean, most movie to or move, most movie to book adaptations. You can you can always say that a movie left out a bunch of details because it's it's so easy to make a movie and write it the way that you see it fit to be on a screen. Whereas in a book, it takes three, four sentences or maybe even up to a page to give you an entire detail, an entire feeling, an entire setup for a scene or a room or a movie. Sorry, a room or characters or whatever. You can't always do that in a movie. It doesn't quite translate. So books are always going to be more detailed than movies are. Even though in movies you can have the visual aspect of it and have all the things on screen. Now, if you read a book and then you go and see the movie and the costumes don't look the way that you envisioned, you know, the sets don't look the way that you envisioned, then it's not going to live up to your standards. And it's not that it doesn't live up to the standards as a source movie. It's got source Yes. I think they could have done the movie better in several different ways. I'll get into that after after we fully unpack this, because we're what? We're only like three or four minutes in, and we're already like, yeah. ah, judge, jury, execution. No, that's it's not oh. going to go off. No, I mean... It- I do... I have thought about it because I've had this conversation with other people who said the movie was great. And, you know, we've agreed to disagree on the content, except for the fact that if I was drunk with microwave burritos, (laughs) I would totally watch Casper Van Dien's Starship Troopers. Okay. So, 
All right, let's 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 kind of move through some details of things, and then we'll get into why I'm right and you're wrong, and why I am the not guilty one in this judge, jury, executioner scenario that you have presented. So, as always with movies, I like to talk more about production than the movie itself. So, the movie was directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Edward Neumeyer. Now. Do you know what movie they worked on together before this? What movie? No. Verhoeven. You're probably going to tell me. Absolutely, I'm going to tell you. That's called a spoiler alert. They directed and wrote Robocop. Robocop. Uh, yes. So. Which one? One through six? Actually, just one. So, actually, uh, Verhoeven wrote, or. Excuse me, Verhoeven directed the first uh, Robocop, and Edward Neumeyer actually wrote the first Robocop and then the reboot Robocop. The one that got a lot more flack than I thought it deserved. I thought it was an okay movie. It wasn't great. If you saw and you loved Robocop before, it wasn't the same by any means, but it was a fine movie. I. It wasn't Robocop. I think if it threw a different name on it, it may have been a better movie. You know what I mean? So, go on. What was the uh, lead character's name before he was Uh, that I don't remember. Hang on a second. You were talking Robocop, and it's like, what was his name? Murphy. 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 Yep. Alex Alex Murphy? Yeah, Alex Murphy. See? Yeah. Anyways, back on top. Sorry. Yeah. That's my derail. Oh, that's fine. The first of what will probably be several. So, okay. So he actually directed uh, all together. Robocop. Next was Total Recall. Then Basic Instinct. And then Showgirls. <laughs> and then Starship Troopers. Um, which I think was a, an interesting jump. But if you look at uh, Robocop, Total Recall you actually saw that he did a lot of the propaganda-type stuff going uh, going forward. He kind of dealt with that, you know, society is one thing, government's a different, and there's violence and whatnot all thrown in there, just as Starship Troopers. But then after Starship Troopers came Hollow Man, and then Black Book, uh, Tricked, L, I don't know those other movies, um, before Robocop was Flesh and Blood, The Fourth Man, All Things Pass, and then he goes into... German movies, which is where he came from, and he was uh, he was born in in 1938. So he came up in you know in World War II, but then in what was Germany after World War II. So he was he was coming of age in a time of fascism and Nazis. I mean Nazis, you know, to be raised around Nazis <laughs> as a regular everyday thing. Even though, you know, Germany did not like to really talk about the Nazis after World War II. They were still there. They were around. Which goes into a lot of what Starship Troopers was. Because he he actually read the first couple chapters of the book and then found it really upsetting. And so he put it down because it was very... He, he said it was a very right-wing book that was, you know, driving a lot of the, you know, the fascism and the... Uh, violence will rule and blah, blah, blah. Which actually, if you look at the, if you watch the background of the really opening scene after the propaganda film about uh, war and whatnot, where Rico is in 
the class making the little kissy animated thing for um, uh, for Denise Richards, you'll actually hear that <clears throat> Michael Ironsides um, is giving a lecture on how violence is the solution. And I think it's funny that he's giving a, a whole speech and, and lecture on how violence is the solution with one arm. <laughs> he's missing an arm through the entire thing. And I think that that is hilarious. So, go on. I, I, I feel like you're you're brimming with with things to say all about that. Well, I mean, you're missing you. Not number one. It's like he read a he read a two pages of a book, and all of a sudden, it's fascist right wing. Well, well, the the um, writer read the entire book. The screenwriter read the entire thing. Well, then he needs to pick up on context clues because <clears throat> that book was written, published back in 1959. So what it was is, first and foremost, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really ruin it for everybody in the book. Well, okay, so the book was written in 1959. The movie is uh, 20 years old at this point, so spoilers don't apply here. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah, spoilers so, don't apply to a 20-year-old movie and a book from 1959. So Okay, so the Professor de Bruyne is how they say it in the book. Um, ah, but see, that's an interesting thing to me, is that's how they say it in the book, but... I read Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I was saying half the names wrong in my head until I got an actual person from Sweden to go, okay, so this is how you say these things. Well, so he's talking about, in that opening sequence, he's talking about how violence is the only answer, but why is that? What led to that? So he goes into this big thing in the book, this big tirade in the book about have a dog. Okay. If your dog does something wrong, what do you do? Well, of course, you paddle the dog for peeing on the floor. That way it knows that you're upset, and then you put the dog outside, right? So what is the difference between physically disciplining somebody for an inaction and paddling a puppy dog? Why is one more acceptable than the other? Is a human life worth more than a dog life? Some would say yes. Well, I mean, it's that's the stuff they explore, like... Casey, I want you to break down two words for me. Ready? Okay. Juvenile delinquent. Break down those two words. The two words individually or tell you what a juvenile delinquent is? Well, what is a juvenile delinquent? A young person who, in short, causes trouble. Okay, so what is juvenile? A young person, usually below, I would say, 16. Okay, so what does delinquent mean? Uh, just a word on its own. I don't know the definition that I can tell that you're looking at, but... Well, I'm not looking at a definition. There's nothing... Uh, I'm looking at you on this uh, screen. Okay. I would just say a delinquent is somebody who is I bad. Know what is the, if I say you're delinquent on something, you're what? You're short. You're behind, right? Right. Okay. So what is a juvenile delinquent? Put those two words together. A short... Uh, a, a, <laughs> a young, young person. person, essentially, that is incapable of essentially knowing right from wrong if they're under the age of 16. Right. Being held responsible for their actions. So in the book, it goes into, well, back in after 
they use the example of I think it's uh, what's that big park in New York Central. So yeah, they were talking about Central Park where crime got so bad that people wouldn't go to the park at night because they'd be murdered or robbed or beaten, right? And then it goes on that shortly after all that happened, they started punishing the adults for the kids' crimes, and then crime dropped. Hang on. Yeah, I'm gonna say. So that's how they that's how they got into it when they figured out that basic rules and laws were working. They had to institute an actual corporal punishment system, where essentially. If you if you or your kid broke the law, you were you were tied to a post and beaten with a rod. I mean, welcome to flogging. Well, you know, a rod is a little different than a cat of nine tails, but go on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just saying though. You know, it's like these, these are the premises that they get the book. The fact that the producer of the show, the director, who whatever he was, read two pages and got upset over number one a fiction book. I mean, he's get his head examined. Okay, so there are many differences between the film and the 1959 novel, where the novel has been accused of, and this is outside of just him, it's been accused of promoting uh, militarism, fascism, and military rule. The film satirizes these concepts by uh, featuring bombastic displays of nationalism, as well as news reports that are in, are intensely xenophobic and propagandic. It's a uh, right. I bet you these are the same people that complain about Fahrenheit or Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, I had my, I had my own run-in with people with that book. So that's actually a book that I have read snippets of, but have never read the entire thing. But you know, I I like the fact that it took what was this book that was accused of these things and satirized the entire thing. You know, did the over-the-top propagandic things and. You know, and made it into what was essentially, you know, on one side, the bright and shiny 90210 at different points <clears throat> to the uh, bright and shiny uh, propaganda films that were played all throughout the movie. And then, you know, on the other side of it, you had murdering or not really murdering, I guess, murdering bugs and bugs murdering people. And well, it just wasn't in the book. It just wasn't bugs. Right. What was it in there the book? There were other people. Well, there were there were these humanoids. I forget what they called them. Uh, but you know, like in the in the book, they talk about how the bugs didn't the bugs didn't take prisoners. Um, you know, they they go into a lot of technical details about. Essentially, they nail the twenty first century in this book on on the reasons why like the coalition of earth governments come together and create one unified thing and why people only people who served in the military have a vote i mean it doesn't promote nationalism it just takes a cause and effect and just puts it on puts it on display now the book was so poorly written in such a fascist thing why did it win hugo awards why is it considered one of the best young author books ever written. I don't, I've never really heard about it outside of in context to the movie. I can't, I mean, it was required reading for you in school. Yeah. When I was in college, that was required reading. Oh. So was Fahrenheit 451. Well, I think, I think maybe, I think books like Fahrenheit 451 again, haven't read it. It's on my list. Uh, Brave new world. Um, 
Oh, hell, there's a couple more. I think those books should be required reading overall. I mean, The Old Man in the Sea. Let's take that book for an example. That, I, I think that should be a required book. It's not? I thought it was in some places. No, it's oh. not. I think Hemingway should be more... I think more Hemingway should be required reading for sure. Because, you know, we, we worship Hemingway on the pedestal of, you know, the greatest writers of all time, but how many people read Hemingway before they get to be 25? And everybody should. I read a whole collection of short stories of his, and I think it was one sitting because I couldn't stop because they were so damn good. I mean, they, they've taken they've taken so many... Now we're getting on the tangent of books, and we shouldn't. So I'll yeah. just say that they have taken... Many of the books I grew up reading with, reading in school, like in language arts, we we had to read Oliver Twist and A Tale of Two Cities, and you know all these other books. And now the now the kids have to be sent home permission slips to learn how babies are made. Is that? I, mean, I have no hope at this point. I didn't realize that that was a permission slip thing at this point. Oh yeah, in health class, you can opt your kid out of uh, out of sex ed. Why would you want to keep your kids from learning the basics of life? Why? What? I don't know. That, again, we're getting off topic. Yeah. Back to the movies. Back to movies and books. Now, okay. So there's a movie that's shown in health class, and it's about okay. how a man and a woman make a baby. So, all right. So, okay. So the film, when it came out, was technically a bomb because it... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was... And it has gained immense popularity in its life afterwards. Um, oh, yeah. It, it has, like, four or five spinoffs. Oh, it, no, uh, it has... Let's see. It has... One, one it has no, it has uh, two direct sequels and then two computer animated movies that all have to do with the bugs. And, yep. and the Starship Troopers 2 hero of the Federation was probably one of the most god-awful dog shit pieces of movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, it was basically uh, the the military has sent a group of people who then get stuck in basically an above-ground bunker and have an electric fence all around them. And around them, all around outside that fence, is millions of the bugs. And then they find a woman inside... An attractive woman played by uh, Kelly Carlson, and I, I don't care about spoiling this one. It came out in two thousand four, but it was dog shit. Um, and then she slowly um, kills everybody because she is a bug that is now <laughs> in the shape of a human, and it's just so bad. In fact, did she die at the end? I don't remember if she dies at the end. I have watched it twice. One out of curiosity, and the second one. The day after parties, I used to sit around with my friends or lay around and watch movies completely hungover and make fun of them. And that was one that we did, and I do not remember the end of it. I know that the bugs end up breaking the fence at one point and get in and kill people, but I don't really remember much more than that. So what is Casper Van Dien's catchphrase? Oh, um, something hell. Something hell. I, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Give them hell. You want to live forever. Oh, right, right. Okay, okay, you're right. You want to live forever, you what? I don't, I don't remember. Just say it. I don't remember. Yeah, I just did. Oh. You want to live forever, you apes. Oh, okay. Right? So, I, in the book, the reason why that saying is used in the book 
is because they're not in the armor that you see in the movie. They're in a suit of armor like Iron Man. Yeah. But it looks like an ape. Yeah, that was a detail that I saw was one of the big changes that he made was just the armor itself. Which, okay, so I've been watching a lot of movies. I watched that movie that you recommended, The Tomorrow War. Which one? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, it was was a good war movie. It was a good action movie. It's it's good. But then I've, I've taken note of other movies and TV shows where people are wearing armor, and I've wondered... What is the point of that armor? Because I have seen people in armor in movies get punched in the head and knocked out, get shot in the head. I mean, they just, the armor doesn't hold up in movies, in TV shows. Like, it doesn't seem to offer any protection. See, I don't understand. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, in the book, it goes into a lot of detail. It doesn't go into a lot of detail about the army, about the armor per se. But, I mean, you see people, you know, like self sealing foam that, you know, injecting them with. Uh, these pain so they can continue to fight, being able to have jump jets to essentially bound over giant buildings and, you know, taking hits from these bugs and shrugging them off or falling down a, like a 20 story sinkhole and surviving. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's like they go into a lot of stuff in, in the book that just really drives home what it is. And if you can engage your brain for 10 minutes while they're talking about, you know, the difference, the difference in political parties and all this other kind of stuff. You, you begin to understand that they are the way they are in the book because they've learned lessons and they're trying to teach lessons. Yeah. So, the, the biggest lesson in this book seems to be that violence is generational and they're, they're fighting the war because they want to fight a war. I mean, that seems to be what the driving force is in the movie. And, you know, it, the movie ends with a propaganda clip, you know, showing the three main characters. Well, um, you know, Denise Richard, Casper Van Dien, and, um, oh, uh, what's his name? Neil Patrick oh, Harris. Come on. Yeah, Neil, Neil, Neil Patrick Harris, which, um, uh, so, uh, Neil Patrick Harris was called, uh, Doogie Heimler. Whenever he wore the military intelligence uniform that resembled the SS uniform. Yes, yes. <laughs> which yes. which I thought was funny. So anyway, it ends with a propaganda clip showing, you know, those three people in their different positions, you know, um uh you know, Doogie Hauser in the the lab and Casper Van Dien, you know, gathering troops to get out the door to go fight. And then uh, Carmen Electra, or not Carmen Electra, Denise Richards. Her name's Carmen in the movie. Um, so, it, and it shows her on the the battleship. And then there's new people in all those positions that they were once in. And, you know, in the classroom scene in the beginning, you see that the generation before them fought in the war. So, it just goes to show that the war is generational. You know, it just keeps going. In, in this scenario and and you know at the end of the movie when old Doogie Hauser goes up to the you know to the the main bug the mom bug the you know queen bug brain or whatever bug. the brain bug brain right bug. and you know uses his telepathy and puts his hand on the head and he says it's scared it's scared and they start celebrating because it's scared not because they won but because it's scared and so that hope well if you Okay, you see that where they celebrate that it's scared, 
and then you see that the war is generational, it makes perfect sense to me that it's a war to keep fighting a war. It's not a war to find peace. And, you know, and then I come from watching, you know, growing up watching Star Trek, where it's all about the, about the world has found peace and has now gone to explore the universe and, you know, find peace from there, even though it's just lots of wars out in the universe. So the way they describe it in the book is that there is a law in the wars because the bugs are keeping to their side of the solar system. We're staying on our side of the fence. You know, neither neither do two meet, right? And what happens is, is the bugs start colonizing the outer worlds. They, they start taking over the outer worlds, killing all the colonists and stuff. They're blasey, blasey, blasey. So when Rico, unfortunately, unlike the movie, when Juanito Rico or Johnny yes. goes Johnny. and the, the lieutenant dies in the movie, which the lieutenant in the movie and the lieutenant in the book do completely different people. The lieutenant in the book dies and then like early on, but when Rico doesn't automatically become the lieutenant, he actually goes to OCS, the book, and they dive down into the whole more of the history and moral philosophy like uh is one life worth more than uh, a thousand lives? You know, will you risk a thousand lives to save one? Or, you know, if you give a, if, if, if you leave a hot stove on and a kid touches a hot stove, what happens? The pain from the burn teaches the kid a hot stove. So essentially they went back in their, in their punishment system to pain as a, once you get your ass beat with a cane once, are you really going to do it again and get your ass beat with it again? Which happens in the movie when Johnny, I forget what he does to get. Yeah, he accidentally tells someone to remove their helmet. Oh, right, right. And then he gets strung up in the in the town square and beat with a with rope or a, a cane. Which you know the mm-hmm. the uh, general comes up to him and he's like, "Here, bite this." And he's like, "Why?" He's Not like, the general is the drill instructor, but drill, hey. okay, I I can't remember. And like I said, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Probably should have watched it before here. <laughs> so, there's a lot of things that differ in the book, but, but essentially the basic premise of the book that you get out of it is that when you get back down to the nitty-gritty of life, the things that keep us from doing things is pain. And the only people that are willing to endure pain are the people that are allowed to vote. So volunteering to be something better than yourself in, in the sense book which i'm not wait say say that again so in the book only people who are serve a term of enlistment you know can vote right they also tell you tell you in the book that they don't turn anybody away if you want to enlist and you can't see they'll find you a job counting the hairs on a caterpillar or some shit i don't remember exactly how to say but everybody is allowed to join. It doesn't matter who you are. And then you get your citizenship and you get your vote. You can run for a political office. You can own a business. So all this other kind of stuff. So in order to become a productive member of society, you have to be in the military. No, not to become a productive member of society, but to become to become a person of influence. An active member? I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So like you can, you can own a business... 
they said in the book, you can you can own a business, but you can't get war contracts unless you're a citizen. You can't get what? You can't war contracts, oh. like military contracts, yeah, yeah. State contracts, stuff like that. Yeah. So you can own a bakery. Right. But you can't run for a political office. So I mean, it's just the details of the book that you can read. Right. Um, it's, it's a good book. I've listened to it on audiobook. It's about 14 hours long on audiobook. I don't have 14 hours. Oh, you do when you drive to work for an hour, so so two weeks you've essentially read it. Actually, yeah. one week. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because uh, there's about half of my way to work. I start listening to certain things. It's to get me kind of going for the day. You know, certain music and, you know, things to keep to keep the uh, the energy going and, and wake me up a little bit because uh, an hour drive to work in the morning sucks, but it's what we do. <laughs> it's, what, we do. it's what we do. Uh, I personally think the movie was the movie, like I said, standalone outside the book. You know, that's a beer and frozen burritos movie for me. I mean, I'll watch it, I'll giggle through it. I mean, the book though, I will sit down and I will power read that book. Maybe I'll pick the book up because I'm 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 curious. So, did you know that the co-ed shower scene, the director? was also requested to be naked during it. And I remember right, he wasn't requested to be. He did it to make it more comfortable for everybody else, if I remember right. I, I've read a few of these. Well, from everything that I've seen, they the, uh, the cast said the only way that they will do a um, co-ed shower scene where they are to completely act normal, like there's nothing going on, they would only do it if he was also naked. And of course, to him, being from, you know, being Dutch, it's not an issue because, you know, the Dutch have much less stringent uh, nudity rules and taboos and whatnot. So, yeah, um, he was uh, requested to be nude and he did it with no problem. So, you know, is a, I find it interesting to go back and watch that scene and know that. And then know that the whole point of it was to show that in the future, um, sexuality is not seen as something that happens everywhere. It only happens at a point where sex is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think we should all get there because... If, if you guys can get that out of a sex scene in a movie, or a shower scene in a movie, <laughs> why can't you all pick up the, the premises of the rest of the movie? I'm I mean, just uh, the United States. Fun fact: United States had war propaganda movies, shows, stuff like that too during the war. Oh yeah, we actually had a communist party with the Nazi symbol in downtown New York back in the nineteen. I think it was nineteen ten, the nineteen twenties. Yeah, it was there. But do you know what the uh, the swastika started as? Where it came from? Like. Uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say African because I think that that is wrong. Uh, I know it's. Uh, Come on, boy, you can do it. It's. I know it's European. It's actually an ancient, I believe, Catholic symbol, and it's actually turned to where it's it's flat on all sides instead of turned like in a diamond shape. But it, that's where it actually came from. Is uh, I believe it was used in Europe more than the U.S., but then it was taken and misconstrued and turned into a symbol of hate. So, as most people do who don't read full books, they turn stuff into a symbol of hate. There you go. Okay. 
<laughs> Van Hoven also compared the film to previous creature features from the 1950s, such as Them from 1954, The Bloody Mantis 1957. Speaking about these films, he said, they expressed the fear about the nuclear threat at the time and the feelings of helplessness and despair that it caused, while Starship Troopers, which was filmed in a post-Cold War United States, obviously, because a lot of things happened in post-Cold War, um, was about having no more enemies. Uh, he also discussed how making movies of the sort are difficult due to political correctiveness and uh, but if it's a bug, if it's a big insect that you can shoot to pieces, nobody cares. It's one of the reasons why he made it strictly bugs. So, trying uh, tying this to the theme of the film, he said the statement that the film is is that we like enemies, and it's true. I think that we as Americans like to have an enemy. We as people like to have an enemy. We like to have somebody to hate. Somebody to look down on, somebody to think that we are better than. Now, that was just his takeaway as to what he was wanting to make the movie in showing that, um, you know, if it's a bug, then you can shoot it to pieces and nobody cares. If it's a person, you can't really shoot them and blow them up as much as they do the bugs. But the one thing that I remember about blowing up more of in that movie was, or blowing up a bug, was scene where uh, there was a giant a giant black roach thing that came out of the ground and old Rico jumped on its back and did a yippee kaye and shot a hole in it and uh, threw a grenade down in it and blew the bug up, which let's talk about. You have been um, involved in grenade usage, haven't you? Yeah. How big of an explosion is a grenade? Well, that depends. Okay. Is a, a grenade... When a grenade explodes, is there a bunch of fire just from that ex immediate explosion? Is okay, so. So, <laughs> all right. Oh, science. So, your basic frag grenade, right? Frag, frag stands for fragmentation. Basic yes. fragmentation grenade will shoot shrapnel, well, pretty far, right? I think... I don't remember. I think it's. I think it's got like a thirty meter, a thirty meter or sixty meter kill radius, or, or thirty meter kill, sixty meter main. Okay. Uh, that's 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 still it's still pretty big, right? Yeah. Uh, your incendiary grenades, well, they just burn. They uh, burn up. Yeah. So we used to put incendiary grenades on blocks, and, yeah. and, and 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 fire them off and watch them eat to the ending block. Huh. Um, yeah, they, they they burn hot. In the movie, Rico uses a grenade, which I'm going to assume was the cross between a thermite grenade and a fragmentation grenade. Because, um, and if you notice, that thing's shot fire that ate flesh, so I'm going to assume yeah. it's, most of its body is volatile anyways. Right. And you introduced uh, something that burns very hot into it. I mean, yeah. It's, it, I don't know, it just seems like an over-the-top explosion, but it is an over-the-top science fiction movie. But here's already. the thing, right? They have mini-nukes. Yeah. Why didn't they just mini-nuke it? Why did he have to jump on and run like a cowboy and probably almost kill himself shooting it and just to, just to throw a grenade in it when they could have thrown a grenade under it? 
Well, because... Airstrike, or they could have done a million other different things other than what they did. Well, because that wouldn't have been as um, cinematically pleasing. <laughs> you know, as a... I, I don't know. So the uh, Starship Troopers was nominated for a number of awards in 1988 um, for Academy Award for Visual Effects So and Saturn Award for Best Costumes and Best Special Effects. So when it comes to the special effects of that movie, I do believe that it is, you know, to be at least noted and mentioned that the effects were interesting and fun. They absolutely were, and I give them that. I really do give them you know, props for their special effects usage, because guess what? I mean, how else are you going to make, like, uh, almost a two-story tall bug look cool? Right. You know? Right. You know, kudos to them. The space seats. You know, they weren't bad. They weren't bad at all. They weren't... I would say the space scenes weren't bad, but they also weren't good. No, they weren't great. No. I mean, like... Another difference in the book is Carmen, played by Denise Richards. Yes, the not, movie. not Carmen Electra. In, <laughs> yes. In the book, shaved her head. All, all Navy pilots shaved their heads. Uh, and they, they were all female. She went the way of G.I.J. Well, they're all Navy pilots are female because they have better, better math, space awareness, buzz, 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 according to the book. They gave females their props. But being in space with long hair floating around his face. Yeah. You know, so they just shaved their heads. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. so it was also nominated for Worst Picture at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, but lost to Batman and Robin. <laughs> Batman and Robin was pretty terrible. It, it was bad. So you talked about the sequels and spinoffs and things. So it had... Uh, Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation, Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, as well as two animated uh, short films, Starship Troopers Invasion and Starship Troopers Traitor of Mars. I never saw Traitor of Mars. Invasion was actually kind of fun. Uh, what was the one that was... Uh, they had a series, too. Starship Troopers. Yep, that's actually what I was going to say, that... In 1999, uh spinoff animated half-hour television show... Uh, called Roughnecks Starship Troopers Chronicles, mm-hmm. um, which ran for um, 80 story arcs. Um, and th- the show was really segmented off into eight different parts. It had 40, 40 episodes overall, and each episode tells a story arc, and then they all tie together like a Tarantino movie. Um, so, But then it was left on an unresolved cliffhanger, and it was never resolved. How, you know, I I didn't watch it, but I don't think I'm ever going to. So anyway, it also had a uh, board game, Starship Troopers Prepare for Battle, which I'd like to play at some point. I've never heard of that. Yeah, me either. It's on Amazon. I I don't know. It's sponsored by Amazon, by anything. So um, it was uh, made by Avalon Hill which Avalon Hill had previously released a game called Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers in 1976. So I think it'd be really interesting to get both of the board games <laughs> and play them both and just to kind of, you know, just to see, because it's two of the same, I guess, intellectual property, but two different interpretations of it. So it oh, also... Hey. <laughs> what? What? Starship Troopers, the RPG. 
the Arachnid Empire. I'm trying to see if I can find it. Where did you say the name of it was? Starship Troopers Prepare for Battle. Uh, okay, keep going. I'm looking. And there was a real-time tactics game, a uh, video game called Starship Troopers Terran Ascendancy. Um, and then a first-person shooter, uh, Starship Troopers, released in 2005. So the movie came out in 97, and they put out a video game, and uh, the tactics game came out in 2000. And then in 2005, they released another video game, which makes me wonder... You know, did they try to ride that wave of where it started to gain popularity and whatnot? Um, and then Sega Pinball also released a pinball machine based on the film. So there is a Starship Troopers pinball machine out there somewhere, which I would love to get my hands on it. Um, I kind of want to collect pinball machines because I think they're fun. So anyway, so... In 2011, uh, film producer Neil Mortis uh, announced plans to remake the film. In 2016, Colombian Mortis announced uh, the writing team of uh, Mark Swift and Damian Shannon had been signed to pen the screenplay. Verhoeven has expressed skepticism at the proposed remake, citing reports that it draws heavily from the original fantastic and militaristic 1959 novel. So... I guess if there's a remake, they're going to remake it closer to the book than the over-the-top violent movie. Well, the book the book itself was violent as well. So if I right. teach how they could have made the movie better. Yes, please. And base, it, and base it more on the book. I will have to say, they could have broke the movie up into three parts. Right? <laughs> Done his basic training in one. Because yeah. in the book, that's a bunch of chapters, right? And it's very detailed in their basics. And it goes into a lot of the backstories and stuff like that and why they're so hopeful and why they're so, what did they call don't, it? Uh, militaristic. Yeah. Right? Militaristic. Yeah. So it goes into a lot of that, the reasons behind it. Then you can take a break from that. And then you can go ahead and do from when he got out of basic training to when he decides to go to OCS is a totally separate movie because it introduces more people and more things behind it. And, you know, there's, there's this, there's a story of one guy that essentially sacrificed his entire, his, his life to save an entire planet. I mean, where was that in the movie? You know, it's just what he did because that was his job. His job was to die for the people that weren't soldiers. That was his job. And he did it. So, got it. So that could be another movie. And then the final movie could be when he went through OCS, officer uh, officer candidate school, to become the lieutenant. To the end of to the end of the book, where essentially, uh, the end of the book, his dad, did, who did not die with the asteroid hit Buenos Aires. Yes. Can we also was, stop for a second and acknowledge the fact that they're all from Argentina, or, or they're all Argentinian. <laughs> And none of them have accents. <laughs> yeah. They're, so, and, the, and that, uh, the I don't know if you remember, the death toll after the asteroid hit um, was into the billions, and there's not that yes. many people in Argentina. So, like, the mom was there, the dad was off on business, and then after the mom died from the bug the dad enlisted in the military, and at the end of the book, he becomes Lieutenant John Donnie Rico's tomb sergeant. 
So it's a father and son team. Right. At the end of the book. Yeah. So, again, you know, this is why I'm right and you're wrong. Oh, but see, you don't understand that I'm right, that it's a great movie. <laughs> you no, are wrong. Again, you know, again, if you brought over a fifth of a fifth of Bacardi and an entire box of taquitos and frozen burritos, I would watch the movie with you. And that actually sounds like it might be a good day. Let's... It would be a great day. You yeah. can't go wrong with taquitos. Let's just get drunk, eat taquitos, and watch shitty action movies. <laughs> uh, last action hero. I mean... I said shitty action movies. That was a great movie. (laughs) All right, maybe for L, we'll go with Last Action Hero and see how that conversation goes. (laughs) But, okay, maybe we'll dive into Starship Troopers again later. I kind of doubt it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But there's a lot to dissect there. Um, This movie is full of things that Stephen hates, and I love it. So, anyway, until next time, this has been... S is for Starship Troopers. S is for Stephen hates Starship Troopers. That is um, true. All right, everybody. Sarge hates Starship Troopers. Sarge hates Starship Troopers. There you go. All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Night, guys. <laughs>